Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Coming up, we'll wrap up our tour of Merriam-Webster headquarters in Springfield. We're going to go to the basement where the dangerous words live. Of the Alamo. (laughs) And we'll talk with the NEPM News Department's Nancy Cohen about the digital divide. We'll see if we can cross it as Monty and I attempt to apply for a dishwashing job online. Tomorrow on the show, Congressman Jim McGovern will join us from a governing with McGovern. Text us a question for him. 800-639-9120. And while you're in texting mode, if you would like to go to the sold-out NEPM Valley Voices storytelling event at the Marigold Theater in East Hampton, text us the first line of a story at 800-639-9120. And if you get to us first, those tickets are yours. But first... This is my cubicle. You have a poster with Scott's on it. That's so cool. Oh, cool. I think it's actually a dish towel. But still, <laughs> you can make many things into posters. I, I love Scottish English. We're at Merriam-Webster's Dictionary in Springfield on Federal Street right across from Stick. Webster is the known name, and they're called Webster's Dictionary with a little bit of Merriam put in there to the point where you fast forward to now dictionaries, and you've got that iconic Merriam-Webster in the white circle. When did that change, and why did we stop focusing on Webster as the sole dictionary guy and give a little more credence to the Merriams. Emily Brewster, resident Webster from Merriam-Webster. The name Merriam-Webster dates to 1982. Up until that point, it was called the G&C Merriam Company. But were they merged with Webster already? Yes, they had Or they were just calling it Webster's Dictionary from the G&C Merriam Company? That's right, that's right. And um, because of the significance of Noah Webster's dictionaries to American English, I mean, he really codified American English as distinct from British English, it was a nationalistic project for him. He He was very passionate about the identity of the United States wasn't even really the United States then, right? He wrote and thought a lot about how to unify the people of this place where we now live. The word Webster became synonymous with American dictionaries over time, and all kinds of publishers would then put Webster on their dictionaries. And um, there was a a court case, and Merriam-Webster lost. So um, we do not own the right to the word Webster's. Yeah. Even though this is the direct lineage of Noah Webster's That's dictionary. right. This is the, yes, very much so. Uh-huh. Very much so. There but, was that television show in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little short. Oh, you need a quarter? No. Longer legs. So there was a decision to change the name of the company to Merriam-Webster. And also there was a campaign when... You and I were kids. I don't know how old you are. So. I'm a year younger than him. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you both might be too young, actually, to remember. Do you remember the Not Just Webster, Merriam Webster campaign? Nope. No. Okay. When I was a kid, how old am I? It was in the 80s. It was we in the were 80s. from the 80s. Yeah. Campaign. All right. You must have just not been paying attention. Yeah. I can give but you I all of the kinds campaign. of marshmallows no. from Lucky Charms. <laughs> I wasn't Pink paying. hearts, yep. orange stars, yellow moons, oh. and green clovers. Then there was blue diamonds and purple horseshoes. And there, red, there was a gap. And red there was a, there was a gap. And then there was always like a vote for the next marshmallow. It yeah, like, it just like, went. Why are you even like pretending that cereal is a part of this anymore? Just give. And now they have. Like there's a cereal where it's just, just the, the marshmallows. marshmallows. <gasps> yeah, I want that. No, you do not. I just want a little. No, you do not. <laughs> They're magically delicious. Always have to be lucky charms. This room. This is where my training happened, actually, in this You had to read all these dictionaries. Not letting you out until you're done. I didn't actually, I know, no, although on my first day, I did have to read the front matter 
of this dictionary and of the collegiate dictionary. Which is what? Explanatory notes. It tells you really the details of how the dictionary works, what the different symbols mean, how they're used, all those things that people write to us asking about. And we can say, you can just find it in the front of your dictionary. <laughs> so up here we have the last dictionary in this room that Noah Webster's work, primarily, without the editorial influence of the editors who came after him. And then from here, we have all of the unabridged dictionaries, Webster unabridged, and then the international dictionary, and then the new international dictionary. This wall is an archive of every printing because sometimes you have to find out what happened between one printing and the next. And so you have to come in here and pull down one of these books that is held together with um, these rubber lovely... bands and hope. Yeah, <laughs> not, not rubber because they would deteriorate. This oh. is this is fabric. Oh, Ooh, wow. Even yeah. better. Ribbons. Yes. Ribbons and hope. Yeah, ribbons and hope. This wall here is of the collegiate dictionaries. The first one was published in 1898. The Collegiate Dictionary is smaller than the unabridged dictionary, those big, big dictionaries that we were looking at in the other room. This is a vocabulary that a, is likely to be useful to a college student or to someone who has been to college. It is cut down. It doesn't cover all of the most technical vocabulary in the unabridged dictionary. The Collegiate Dictionary is the basis of the Merriam-Webster.com dictionary. Why is the seventh one shaped like that? Could've, it looks like a coffin. Was that a sign? A bump see, out. See if oh, you it's... can figure out why. <laughs> I think I figured it out already. <laughs> I got it. Once you pull Isn't it off, off the shelf. That's really cool. Got, the spine is angled in such a way that you can put it on a table and it is its yeah. own stand. It's its own stand. What a great idea. Yeah, why don't they make all dictionaries like Long. No, it's a design oh flaw. It's not standing very well on its own. So. Well, it's been, it hasn't been used in a while. Oh, yeah. Look, they're dictionary editors. They're not. That is so cool. Architects. It's pretty cute, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, if you have a, a book. Oh, <laughs> see? That's why they discontinued it. <laughs> <laughs> Too many injuries. That dictionary tried to attack me. Yep, it just discontinued itself. <laughs> Another way that Merriam-Webster in Springfield here has entered into the digital age, New York Times may have purchased Wordle, but Merriam-Webster is Quartle, right? Yeah. Oh, awesome. That's the one I play. <laughs> yeah, I, I Merriam-Webster in Springfield, I, thanks you. Calise. I love Quartle. I was very excited to find out that Quartle was now a Merriam-Webster game. It's more fun than the single one. I know yeah. it is, you right? You have to think around your words a little bit more. Yeah. I always start with the same three words. Well, I change them up, but I always start with three words, and then I can usually get the rest with you know just one guess each. How do you do it? I should have the same three words. I have the same three letters that I make sure are in the word, and then I branch out from there in a way that is chaotic and untempered. <laughs> My starting words right now are spicy dough later. Mm. Those are good starting words. Sounds delicious. <laughs> I just help my nine-year-old do the regular old world once in a while. No, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's all lexical. It's nice people ask me if, um, if, if lexicographers are really good at Scrabble, and I always tell them that I am disappointingly mediocre at Scrabble. And that's because I, I don't really 
think about words um, with relation to their point value. Right. Think about their meaning, <laughs> you know? The orthography of a word can uh, be significant, of course, but it's the meaning that I'm focused on. Orthography of a word? Does that mean bird is the word? The spelling. Oh, got it. Not ornithology. I get it. <laughs> I should show. Okay, I'm going to show you one other thing. Oh, all right. All right. We're going to go to the basement. Oh. Where they keep the bad words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got bad words all over. <laughs> this word is in timeout for a while. People can use it properly. Look at this. Yeah, I mean, we used to eat lunch here back in the day. This at one point was um, a lunch uh, cafeteria. There was, they would make food for the employees here. The good old days. So 50s, yeah. I love it. Yeah, definitely there was a huge 50s vibe going on right now with this yeah. cafeteria. Yeah. And even the old picture of, well, these are people doing editing work oh, upstairs. Oh, yes, this but... is what the upstairs used to look like before cubicles went in. I love looking at all these people in there. 1950s clothing and their full suits and ties and bow ties. And There's a dresses. woman. Yep, they're right there. <laughs> yeah, Merriam-Webster has employed women. Um, many, many women have been editors over the years, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. If you look through the, the list of editors who worked on the second unabridged and the third unabridged, lots and lots of women. That's great. Yeah. No wonder it's Merriam-Webster. <laughs> oh no, again, that's not why. Books, books everywhere. Are these all dictionaries? No, 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 no. These are, well, they're a bunch of Oh, there's Britannica. Like reference books that you, before, you know, before there was an internet, you I'm had so to, confused. you had to look up everything in, in a book. So if you were defining a sailing term, for example, you would want, you, we, we had to have a, we had to have a set of books that addressed sailing. Wow. Luckily, you're pretty close to the library, too. So if you don't even have, if you don't yeah. have all the books here, you just go right around the corner. Well. I also love that there's a box that just says rhyming rejects. Oh. <laughs> it's all filled with orange. That's where they go, in the basement. They stay there. Merriam-Webster is owned by Encyclopedia Britannica. So we have, we have a close relationship with Encyclopedia Britannica and many editions of... Uh, encyclopedias. Does that mean the Brits won after all and took Noah Webster's intellectual property and own it now? No, it means that accords happened. Okay. Do you have a Hang flashlight? Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> I should have brought mine. Come on in. There's a Panera bag in here. So it's been used somewhat recently at least. <laughs> this is called the vault. This table lamp is here because that light buzzes. And one of the most useful things about the vault in the modern age is that it is the quietest room. And so Peter comes in here to record the Merriam-Webster word of the day. Oh my God. This, he comes into here to do it right here where we are right now. I don't know if he still does, uh -huh. but for years and years, yes, he would record the word of the day in the vault. And you know, that podcast has been going continuously. It is a daily podcast that's been going on for an incredibly long time. It just passed a milestone. I have a terrible memory for numbers. I don't remember. You can call into Peter Sokolowski's uh, jazz show on New England Public Media and ask him. I'm sure he knows. <laughs> <laughs> he does know, yes. Most of these file cabinets are filled with correspondence. So, so people write in advocating for a word? Or complaining about a word or asking about a word. Yes. I did have to find a letter one time that was up there. This ladder made me very nervous. Yeah, that should. <laughs> it's a very tall ladder. What's behind that little door right there? The furnace where words go to die. I was going to ask. Uh, the elevator? elevator. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Like a uh, dumb waiter? No, it's an actual elevator. A real elevator? Yeah, there's elevator. a real elevator. Yep. Like in Webster, a dumb waiter. Didn't he go have a dumb waiter in his house? Was that Webster? I think so. Well, Emily Brewster, we're glad to welcome you back to the airways on this new show. and We're excited to hear. We're not always going to come to the dictionary's home base here in Springfield, but we will know that all of the words that we're talking about are emanating from right here in the 413. Thanks to you. Thanks for coming in, to you. Merriam-Webster and NEPM's Peter Sokolowski, who joined us yesterday, says that March 27th marks the 6,000th consecutive Word of the Day podcast, all voiced by him. That is amazing. It is amazing. Tomorrow on the show, Congressman McGovern will join us for McGoverning with McGovern. Text us a question for him at 800-639-9120. And while you're in texting mode, if you'd like to go to the sold-out NEPM Valley Voices storytelling event at the Marigold Theater in East Hampton tomorrow, text us the first line of a story at 800-639-9120. And if you get to us first... Those tickets are yours. Next in the Fabulous 413, we'll talk the digital divide with the NEPM News Department's Nancy Cohen. Then we'll try and bridge that divide by applying for a job online. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. Our friends at Merriam-Webster in Springfield defined the digital divide as the economic, educational, and social inequalities between those who have computers and online access and those who do not. Employers in Western Mass have lots of jobs to fill, but not enough applicants. Almost all businesses, including those paying minimum wage, require people to apply online, and employers might be missing out on people who don't have the digital skills to do so. The NEPM News Department's Nancy, Nancy Cohen has this story. 29 employers perch, ready, sitting behind tables at a job fair at Greenfield Community College. One has five positions to fill, another 50. With a labor shortage, people applying for jobs should be in the driver's seat, but that hasn't been the case for Jesse Morrison. It's a challenge. <laughs> That's all I can say, doing the stuff online. doesn't always go smooth. Morrison, from Vernon, Vermont, spent more than half of his 51 years driving a propane truck. He wants to work. He has a computer and internet, but got stuck at first uploading a job application. One said it had to be in a PDF form, you know, when you tried to upload it, and and it just, you know, and you're like, what is that? You know, what kind of paper is that? But it kept saying, oh, wouldn't do it because it wasn't one. Pershing Reed from Orange is also here hoping to find work. He's 72, drove an MBTA bus in Boston, and is looking for a job driving a van or a bus. Well, I went to the site, and I seen the site of the company, but it just it didn't tell me how to get on. Because it didn't tell me how to get on, I couldn't apply. Reed even visited the company in person, but they just sent him back to their website. Crystal Fish is an HR manager at another company, Mativ, a plastics manufacturer in Greenfield with 15 open positions. She says if an applicant is having problems, she'd be happy to help them out, but... We haven't had anybody that's had problems applying to our website, or at least not that we've been made aware of. In fact, most recruiters at this job fair say they haven't even heard of the problem. But Maura Geary, who organized the fair, knows it well. She heads up the Franklin Hampshire Career Center. Some people truly can't access the online application itself. So they need to be walked through the 
online application. Geary's staff includes a digital navigator who offers job seekers three one-hour lessons on basics like setting up an email account and uploading a resume. If there's a virtual interview, which a lot of first interviews are virtual, we do trainings to get them up to speed on all of the different workforce tools that are necessary to get a job. And some, of course, also lack the digital skills to do the job. In the last couple of years, the Career Center has given away 592 Chromebooks, and if a job seeker can't afford internet access, the center will help them apply for a federal program that can help pay for it. Compared to the rest of the state, Franklin and Hampshire counties have more job seekers with disabilities, and slightly more who are 55 or over, some of whom, Geary says, face digital challenges. We definitely work with mature workers who face technology barriers and also some ageism, frankly, in their search for new careers. Besides older adults, the digital divide disproportionately affects people with some disabilities, lower incomes, less education, or those who are English language learners, along with people who live in a place that lacks internet infrastructure. And in Western Mass, according to the U.S. Census, Hampton County has the biggest percentage of households without a computer. These digital barriers came to a head about three years ago when a new verb entered the national lexicon to Zoom. We were locked in, locked down. If I'm having trouble connecting, what about our consumers, residents, patients? How are they connecting to services? That's Frank Robinson, a VP at Bay State Health. His concern wasn't just about patients needing medical appointments. How do you get food? How do you get in those days, protective equipment, all that stuff was online. And if people weren't connected online, they were just outside of any kind of protections. He says the people most affected had experienced disparities before the pandemic. Black, brown, folks living with disabilities, older adults would be also having problems because they already experienced significant inequities. Being connected and literate in digital tools is what Robinson calls a civil right and a human right. If you don't have that level of proficiency, then you can't fully participate in society. In the summer of 2020, Robinson convened a meeting of concerned groups in Western Mass. Now 30 organizations strong, they call themselves the Alliance for Digital Equity. They include library schools and at least one affordable housing provider. It's Tuesday night. About 10 students are finishing their second computer course offered by Wayfinders in Holyoke. Tonight, the topic is finances and digital tools that help people budget. 58-year-old Jose Angel Hernandez says before he took the first course, he tried to submit job applications using his phone. Primeramente, no tenía la computadora. Trataba de hacerlo en el celular, pero era imposible. It was hard to see, a common problem for job seekers whose only device is a phone. As part of the course, Wayfinders gave each student a Chromebook. Hernandez is practically hugging his. Hernandez took his first computer course last summer. By November, he had submitted a job application online. I got the job. You look so happy. Yes, because I love this job. I like to help. 
I love it. He works at an office for WIC, the food program for women, infants, and children. Not only that, but now he says he can shop, pay his bills, check his bank account online, and have telehealth appointments with his mother's doctor. And now he has email. Y me di cuenta de lo importante que era para mí, porque esto te abre la mente, te abre los ojos. Hernandez says using a computer has helped him discover the world. His classmate, 59-year-old Grisel Monserrate, says having digital skills makes her feel sure of herself. Monserrate takes care of her mother, who has Alzheimer's, and she runs a support group for other Spanish-speaking caregivers. Her new computer skills allow her to do so much more for the group. She's happy to be able to use the internet to help others, and she hopes to use these skills to start a daycare for children in her home. For New England Public Media, I'm Nancy Cohen. Nancy Cohen joins us in the studio here at the Fabulous 413. Nancy, apart from that great story which you just did, and thank you for that, and thank you for sharing it with us. And, and thank you for having me on, Monty, and thank you, Khalees. It's sure. our pleasure. Yes. Uh, you did some follow-up with a UMass sociology professor who thinks, as the story puts out there that online might not be the best and only option for applying for jobs. Yeah, he, his name is Ofer Sharon. He's in the sociology department at UMass Amherst. And he thinks employers should provide an opportunity for people to apply in person for jobs that don't require digital school skills on the job. And he put it this way. He said, rather than have information about the applicant mediated through a technology that not everyone can use. It is a real paradox that at a time when employers are talking about not finding enough workers, at the same time, employers are sticking to an application system that is clearly shutting out a certain segment of workers who would have all the skills that they're looking for, but not necessarily the skills to apply for the job. So it is, I think, for sure, very frustrating to the workers who are wanting to work have the required skills to do the job, but are not able to showcase that because of the hiring system. So we're hearing about everybody else's involvement with technology, but Nancy, what's your experience with computers? When did you learn how to use them? Oh, I'd be happy to tell you, but first, this is, this is how did you learn, Khalees? Well, my dad is a systems analyst, so I had them pretty much from the beginning, <laughs> but also I'm a bit of an anomaly because that's definitely not true for where I grew up and how, like everyone else, that grew up like my family is full of nerds and we had land parties as a family. So like I am I understand that I'm an anomaly. Um, but yeah, my dad's a systems analyst, still writes code and protective <laughs> programs for the government. I was in a band <laughs> that made one album and that album was called The Last Known User of the Telephone Booth, which is me. That's my relationship to technology. I really don't like it. Uh-huh. I was a reluctant user to like get a smart cell phone, oh, but I, I took, I, I'm what they call Xennial, where I'm Generation X with a tad of millennial because of my last year in, co- <laughs> in high school, we were learning how to used uh, Netscape Navigator in the school library. Oh, an AltaVista. I yeah. see. Yeah, so that's our, that's my relationship but, with the technology. But that said, 
I'm only a year younger than Monty. Yeah. As we mentioned in the at the Merriam-Webster piece, like we are basically the same age. We're, We're just from different ends of the technology spectrum because of that. All right. Well, I have a few years on you. Um, <laughs> when I grew up, my I had a nerd in my family, which was one of my three brothers. He actually worked with giant computers. He was so smart. He was, I don't remember what the name of the company is, but he went and was working, and he's older than me, was working with these giant computers with those punch-out oh, cards. Yeah. How did I learn? Um, it was the mid-1980s. You can do the math. I was in my mid-20s. Okay. I was working as a sound person, uh, recording sound for film and television, and I was trying to raise money for a documentary that I wanted to make, which, by the way, I did make and that aired on GBH. Ooh. Nice. Can you shamelessly plug it? <laughs> it's called The Water Talks to Me. It's about commercial fishermen Love and it. over-harvesting of I'm fish. I'm going to look it up. Cool. And anyway, I had a dear friend named Sarah. She had a computer. It Uh was called a leading edge. She had it at home. She had a job. I was freelancing. She gave me the key to her (laughs) apartment. And she said, she taught me how to use her computer. And I went over to her house, her apartment every day and worked on my um, applications for grants on this computer. But I needed to be showed how to use it by her. So do you feel that you're tech savvy having that much experience for, you know, being that's longer than I've been using the computer, even though I'm native to that. I mean, I'm more tech savvy because I started longer ago because yeah, you've been doing it longer. No, the point is, is that I didn't <laughs> learn and I, I didn't learn in school uh-huh. at all. Yeah. Um, I didn't learn as an undergraduate um, when I went to grad school, which was much later. Um, the technology was starting to be used in the mid 90s, mid 1990s. I was an editor at NPR. Um, I was an editor. I was getting scripts uh, from people via fax. Uh-huh. Um, not everybody. I didn't have access to the internet then. Not everybody did. Some people did. Some people didn't. Anyway, hope mm-hmm. that answers your question. And you know, Nancy Cohen yeah. from the NEPM News Department. We were just uh, spitballing off the air, and you were talking about yesterday. So many people lost power, and when technology and electricity fails us, you think that there are, there are skills that we definitely need to still uh, keep honed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was all set to go uh, drive somewhere where I could get internet access, which I eventually did, but I realized my garage door is open and closed via electricity. Mm-hmm. I had never opened it before. I kind of figured it out, couldn't really do it, had to knock on a neighbor's door. <laughs> he came over and helped me do it, and then I physically opened it, which was fine, and got out and got internet and did my job. But I started thinking about what other what skills do we all need to have? So yeah. here's uh, maybe we need to know how to open an electric car door during a power outage. But how about sewing a button? Right. Making soup. Uh, seriously, sew a button, make soup, use a screwdriver, use a drill. This is what I came up with. I think those are all very important. Those are all and it, it will separate your digital divide of friends between your Facebook friends and your real friends if you're because <laughs> your real friends will come and help you open your garage door. <laughs> But but I also we truly need to all have digital skills and people exactly. are really hurting who who don't have that. Absolutely. Is that part of what interested you in pursuing this particular story? Uh, I, I, I came to the story idea through a friend, my friend Peter. Peter was living in Washington D.C. in 2016. Uh, he was unpack- he was emptying a truck. He was moving in. A man walked down the street, offered to help him unpack the truck, which happened. Two of them became friends. The man uh, at the time was washing dishes and maybe doing some maintenance jobs. COVID hit. He lost his work. He's been threatened with eviction. Peter at, at first helped him with some paper applications and then eventually um, got made an email address for this guy, helped him, and 
to this day is helping him apply for jobs. And the man is not getting jobs easily in this process, and Peter feels like he had a better uh, chance of getting a job going in in person. Peter says the guy is one of the hardest working people he has ever met. The guy really wants to work, but this digital divide, this way of applying for even dishwashing jobs and maintenance jobs is stopping him and, or hindering his ability to get a job. Do you think that part of it is also, like we were in your story, you're mentioning how things don't show up on cellular. Like People are more likely to have a smartphone than they are to have a computer. But people's mobile sites are often unnavigatable or have problems when you translate these sites to to cellular. Is there some is there also a problem with that translation from business to your cell phone? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's only just the translation, although I haven't I haven't been limited to my phone. This man had a phone uh, and had has trouble navigating it, as I understand it. But I think just like uh, Jose Angel Hernandez, who we met in the story, you know, it's too hard to see. Mm -hmm. So I do think a lot of people have mobile phones. Not everybody has computers. And even if they have them, not everybody knows how to use them. Um, yeah. Plus, how are, how are you going to know how charming Angel is unless you meet him in person? I mean, that's a big True. part of that. I feel like I would almost never have gotten any of my jobs if it was just a <laughs> resume and digitally said, bending it digitally. It's, it's turning on the charm offensive. That's right. That's, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I don't have a reply to that. Especially with you, Monty. Yeah, well, thank you. Coming up, Kalise and I will see if we can cross the digital divide as we try and apply for a dishwashing job like Nancy Cohen's friend did. Thank you so much for that story, Nancy. Sure. You're welcome. And if you are tech savvy and you'd like to go to the sold out NEPM Valley Voices storytelling event at the Marigold Theater in East Hampton, text us the first line of a story at 800-639-9120. And if you get to us first, those tickets can be yours. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Okay, so Nancy Cohen has sent us 22 new dishwasher jobs in Washington, D.C. Yes. To try to apply for and see how well we can do this as people who use the internet frequently. So yes. we are more of an advantage. We're more experienced with this. We have help. We have each other at this moment. Yeah. But and, we... and plus, I'm looking at this and having at least some cursory knowledge of Washington, D.C. landscape and geography. Like, some of these are not particularly <laughs> transit-friendly. Which one should we apply for? $17 an hour is about the going rate, 15 to 16 There was one for $18 an hour. Oh, my gosh. Germantown, how's anybody supposed to get there? Bowie, Maryland. <laughs> it's Bowie. Oh, damn it. Because that sounds like a fun place for me to work. Yeah. You remind me of the babe. It's Bowie, Maryland. Is that not easy to get to? The Green Line only just started getting nearby there, and it's got buses, but they're not regular. Okay. So should we do this one Bluestone Lane in Washington, D.C. for yeah, $17.25 sure. an hour? Let's try. Okay, we've clicked on it. This job has expired on Indeed. Okay, well. That's one of the things people experience in the digital divide. That one that looked perfect, already gone. Hilton Garden Inn. Oh, this job has expired on Indeed. Have all of these jobs expired on Indeed? Hopefully for the people that need dishwashers, part-time dishwasher Canopy Central Wharf. Aha! Okay. Sixteen fifty an hour, so not as good as we had hoped for. Full-time benefits, dental, health, life, opportunities for advancement, tuition reimbursement. That sounds like a good one. Okay. Apply now. So I have to go okay. through all of this in Okay, so stuff it's asking to us there. to either upload a resume, which maybe you have, or to build one through Indeed, which is honestly probably the easier route if you don't have a resume already set up. Okay. 
We're going to go build a resume because I probably have one somewhere, but I don't know if I remember where. Level of education. That would be A. I do too. Yeah, there you go. Bachelor. Why are there four different ways to put this? Okay. <laughs> Field of study. Mine was theology and communications. Music. Let's put music. <laughs> a couple classes. School. Let's pretend we went to UMass. Okay, let's go to UMass then. <laughs> Not currently enrolled. Oh my God, this is taking forever already. I'm fell We've been here for two minutes. <laughs> let's say, wait a minute, when did we start? September, oh, I'll say August. August of, of 2021, let's say. Let's pretend we're juniors. We're not currently enrolled, so we just got kicked we, out we of school. We kicked out of school. <laughs> or we just But left. we have a bachelor's degree somehow already. We were maybe all right. Uh, skip. So it's asking for current jobs. We skip that. Do you want any of these It's skills? asking if we want to add any skills. Like, it's asking if we have teaching skills or dancing skills. I know. What dancing? video editing we're skills. We're trying to apply for a, a dishwasher dish job. None of these even but, say know, restaurant. But, you know, kudos to them for, like, acknowledging the whole person. Well, I'm going to put that we have dancing skills. And put that we have fundraising skills. And fundraising. <laughs> we're applying with our resume. Continue. When do you be able to start work? Dude, I'm not washing dishes before 9 a.m. No, oh, they're immediately. Okay. Like today. Immediately. What made it, motivates you to do your best? Rent. Rent. <laughs> Why are you interested in this job? Also, also rent. rent. Okay. Question from employer. Gender. Male, female. I decline to say. Decline to say. decline to say. I always decline to say, too. Uh, ethnic or racial identity. Also decline to say. Also decline to say because, yeah, what are you going to put that on your resume for? Given the history of not hiring people because of their identity. Voluntary self-identification of disability. You can not wish to answer that as well. Let's but not. Let's not. I have a bachelor's degree in music. Oh, hopefully this you is. So, you fast tracked your way in 18 months to the degree in music. music. Now I'm going to do what a lot of musicians do become a dishwasher. Hey. I know. <laughs> Submit your application. All right. I'll get an email confirmation. Indeed, we'll send an application status within two weeks. I need to pay the rent today. That's a ways. That's a wait. Okay, let's look. I got, and I got a confirmation for a part-time dishwasher job at Canopy Wharf in Washington, D.C. It's confirmed on my email. We'll see how I do. Well, I mean, your resume is real lean. I actually was a dishwasher. That was like the only restaurant job I ever had. It was uh, called a steward. Yes. And I washed lots of pots. Yes. So I'm qualified for this. I yes. hope I get it. God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. Um, how many people do they need? Indeed was pretty easy for us who know how to use the internet. Yeah, I've done applications that basically look like that for other jobs. Like, full disclosure, had to do this recently. Yeah. <laughs> and I've talked to people of an older demographic who have a really hard time navigating the internet. People of our age, we're 45-ish, mm -hmm. we're native to technology, and it's a language that we speak, as opposed to people that I know that are in their 70s who mm -hmm. are, they think of it as another language, like they just don't understand how to do it. My kids, who are like teenagers or younger, know how to do all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. None of us have an English language barrier. None of us have a vision or hearing impediment that's keeping us from doing this. But, and I actually, like, honestly didn't see options on there for any vision impaired options for reading through any of the text. Right. The other big thing is we have a laptop 
at our disposal right now where yep. we are. We have fast internet at our disposal right where we are. We're not having to go to a library. We're not having to sign up and wait for a computer. That would be the, the thing that we maybe should have. Yeah, we should have <laughs> done it that way. I will say that while we were onboarded here at NEPM, there was complicated programs that weren't responding to our attempts to identify ourselves as actual living human, human beings, beings yes. in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And that was frustrating. It was a digital divide. Maybe it's just a bad program. But there's, it was frustrating to all, both of us who yes. know how to do this really well to be like, why won't you accept my passport photo? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I swear that the federal government recognizes me as a citizen of this country. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember also during that onboarding, if there was an option, I feel like there was at least for that one for language where we didn't necessarily have to do it in English. I wonder if the sites that I was using, you know, like 15, 18 years ago have evolved at all. And well, A, still exist. B, have evolved at all to encompass any of these things that we encountered on this particular site. There's this in like ZipRecruiter, but that's not for like quote unquote lay positions as opposed to like older sites. And man, am I going to show my age with this one, but like monster. Pull up in a monster automobile gangster. That even exist anymore? I don't know. We should check. <laughs> oh, wait. No, it does still exist. There you go. Find jobs. We both got our own laptops here now we're going. Do I know how to use a filter if I'm somebody who's not native to technology like this? To be able to filter out by all types of jobs and distance from where I am. Okay. Date posted and all those important yeah. things. If you type in your zip code okay, so up gonna... above, you can do that. But would you know to do that if you don't know? We It took us a minute. Now I'm getting job postings from Keene, New Hampshire, and Greenfield. Community Action Pioneer Valley. Oh, I like that organization. They're a pretty great organization. Former Mayor uh, Claire Higgins is at the helm of that one right now. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. If I apply for a job there, okay. she's probably going to freak out and be like, what happened with NEPM? It didn't work out. Why are you applying for a job <laughs> at Community <laughs> Action? Although there's, like, other languages on Monster, the Spanish version is only for Spain. Oh. So when you bring up the Spanish version, it brings up jobs in Spain. Hmm. Um, Might be hard to get to. Well, from you work from home. <laughs> if you want to work from home, yeah, that's true. you could. I don't envy your taxes. But right. Like, let's just see. How's it going over there? Uh, I got distracted. Hang on. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Is more of the, pro of the problem my adult ADHD? <laughs> that's mine too. I just answered like three emails instead of applying for a job. I was like... Too long, didn't read. There's so much on the internet. Yeah, right. What to telling you? Well, I went back and instead looked for music jobs. Um, there's a lot of jobs at the Hard Rock and Ibiza. I don't oh, think those are music Here's, jobs. Those well, are probably dishwashing jobs, too. Maybe. The larger point being, you couldn't find an easy way in Spanish to find a job in Western Mass. Oh, no. You found Plus, an easy way in Spanish to apply for a job for in fun Spain. in Spain. Maybe washing dishes as a musician at the Hard Rock. As a cultural ambassador at the Hard Rock Cafe. Okay. If you needed Spanish language, there was no easy way to do it. And I got distracted and found an article about Banksy creating a Bob Ross narrated process video of new that work depicting Oscar Wilde escaping prison. Different so, from what we intended. Yeah. That's the digital <laughs> divide for you, everybody. Oh, it's, wait. Hold on. Indeed does do it in Spanish. Uh-huh. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. But did you know? Look how long it took you to figure that out. Lava Platos is what I want. In Springfield, Mass. Yes. There's... Four places looking for dishwashers that have listed their posting in Spanish. And, oof, man, the pay rate for these are, is close to D.C., but the range is wider. It's from 12 to 20. Uh -huh. Two of these places are public transport. 
Here's that Banksy Bob Ross narrated process video. How'd they do it? I got distracted again. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. This application has, like, the pieces of it aren't translated. So, like, everything before was in Spanish, but you get to putting your information in, and the headings are all in English, um, including the part where it's like, would I like to receive updates about my application? That's in English. Mm-hmm. How is that helping? <laughs> all right, so an additional barrier if you don't know how technology yeah, then, works, if you don't know English. And then all of the, the text afterwards is all in English. So even though you started, indeed, in Spanish, you got to know English at some point if you're going to finish up getting this application for a dishwasher job in Springfield. Yes. Further, she shakes her head. She shakes her head for radio. <laughs> but further, explaining this digital divide and why there are so many people looking for jobs, those jobs aren't being filled. This is a big problem, and we need to find a way to help people who could or want these jobs. The Spanish section should be in all Spanish. It should. Yes, it should all be in Spanish. <laughs> like, why have you not translated the important questions that are required? Hire someone, indeed. Isn't that what you do? Isn't that what? Indeed, you do. Indeed. It might have been easy for us to navigate Indeed and apply for a dishwashing job, as Nancy Eve Cohen has laid out in her piece. But it's not easy for everybody. No. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to get me a job. Don't say one thing. Khalees is such a nerd that not only did you do a great job applying for a job for us online. <laughs> <laughs> that digital divide was really no problem for you, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna nerd out. We're gonna nerd out. Coming out, we will nerd out on Nerd Watch and talk about word games. You're listening to the Fabulous Four One Three on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous Four One Three. It's time for Khalees Smith's Nerd Watch. It's been a minute. Eh? It has a little <laughs> backstory on this. On Boxing Day. 2021, I tested positive for COVID-19, even though I had no symptoms. So for the first week of 2022, I broadcast live from my bed on the old radio show I did that played that Lucinda Williams uh, quite a bit (laughs) through Nine the River. Still love you. Uh, And Khalees was back at the studio and we bantered while I broadcast from bed and Khalees push buttons uh, in the River Studios. And we, out of that, developed... A segment called Nerd Watch, which was heard by Matt Abramovitz, the <laughs> new CEO of New England Public Media, and he said, "You two should come do a show for us." And here we are. And, and Nerd Watch uh, really was a way for Khalees to show us just how nerdy she is about it, things from I mean, anime to I board feel like games. At its core, it was a reason for me to justify my absolutely alarming board game collection. Yeah. It's alarming. It's growing. I got a new one in the other day. It's about dim sum. It's called Steam Up. (laughs) And it has these cute little, like, you have to, it's set collection, but you have, like, these steamer levels, and you have to collect these cute little bits of dim sum to collect points, and it's just, I couldn't stop myself. We scaled down our board game collection because we're doing a little bit of early spring cleaning here. I don't understand your life. I know. Okay. (laughs) But it gave us an opportunity to talk about all sorts of things that Khalees is interested in that are really fun. And some of these things uh, can be done and experienced here in the fabulous 413. Before we forget about it, including what's going on tonight in East Hampton. Tonight at the Brass Cat in East Hampton is 
Start Playing Games, which is a bi-weekly night that starts at 7, goes until the bar closes, where they highlight one game, but pretty much people will bring a handful of things, and you get, there's a pile of people to play with and a pile of things to play. So if there's board games are something you'd like to do more of or like to find more variety of, that is happening tonight in East Hampton. And that event may start to... Uh meander around different places in the, uh, I was in saying, the 413. Maybe keep your eyes on White Lion. Aha! Well, that'll be fun, because that's right across the street from where we are now. I know, and right down the street from my house makes it so convenient. But today we're going to talk about word games, okay. because we've been talking about words a bunch this week, Yeah. and there's ways to make it competitive, so why not? So. <laughs> well, we just learned that Quartal was purchased by Merriam-Webster in Springfield, so Quartal is the game that you play I in the morning, the, the online word game, uh, yes. like Wordle, which the New York Times bought and everybody loves. I help my nine-year-old packs with that almost every day. Yes. There's another mobile game that I've started playing called Words Collide, where, again, you're building words, but how it works is you've got these tiles, and each word that you build in, like, this long and ongoing set, and actually it's it's collaborative. You'll play with, like, a random other player or a friend. You know, if you have friends who also play games, I usually don't bother my friends with game. I play with anonymous people. <laughs> but... Whatever word you collect, those letters and those tiles will, like, come up and bundle together and slide to the end. And it allows you to cascade and build, like, different words Uh for more points. It's a really interesting way to think about how your words get built. It's so – it's a little bit of a brain breaker, but I kind of love it. Okay. That's a great one. And that one's called? Words Collide. Words Collide. Words Collide. I love the word play. Yes. There's like since I have a bunch of I love co-ops. I love co-ops. So a lot of not what, shopping co-ops. I mean, I love those, too. Yeah. But like cooperative games where you're not necessarily competing, even though I started this entire segment by saying, let's make it competitive. Yeah. But <laughs> often I like to make it collaborative instead. <laughs> so there is this neat game called Hanabi. Which isn't the word game, but I promise we're getting to the point. Hanabi is a game where you're playing with other people. You're trying to put on a fireworks show, and you have a set of cards. And everyone can see what your cards are, except you. Aha! So you have to work with other people to build this show and have them tell you what you have. Now, there's a word equivalent to that called letter jam. You have a handful of cards. You have no idea what letters you have, and everybody else can see your hand. So you're trying to build as good a word you can with everybody else's letters, and whoever's got the best word decides to kind of steer the the ship for that particular round by getting everybody else to pull the right card out of their hand so you can build this word. And you can't just point to it? How do you tell no, them which card to, to uh, to pick out? You give instructions. Uh-huh. <laughs> as Such as? as? Like, what's like, part- so... So maybe you have some vowels that I need. Uh-huh. So maybe you have two vowels that I need. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I or like perhaps you have you have two Ts. We should we should use those. And you can tell them outright they have two Ts and they uh, Yeah, similar similar things like that. I love collaborative games like that where nobody wins. Yes. Speaking of um, just one is another. I believe we've talked about this game before, but it bears repeating because it's so much fun. So you have a pile of people, and each person gets a tiny whiteboard. And the person, kind of the guesser for that round, will get a card, pick a number. They don't get to see what's on the card. Everybody else gets to see what the word is. Now everybody else on their board will write one word they think might give you a clue as to what the word you've chosen is. Mm-hmm. That group will, and so they've picked their words, will show those words to each other. And if any of them match, they get erased. 
<laughs> so you start with like this giant pile of words you could pick from, and uh-huh. it dwindles down to maybe one or two words sometimes. I've seen that happen. <laughs> and that's a collaborative one, too. That's a collaborative one, and too. And the goal is to just have all the words erased. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, the goal is to have the person pick the right word. <laughs> right. Until they're all erased. Until they're all erased, yes. Okay, recap the games that we've talked about today. Okay, so we have talked to, talked about Word Collide, which is a mobile game. We talked about... Uh, Letter Jams, which is another collaborative game. We talked about just one, and I'm going to give you one tabletop game, Uh which is really cool. And actually, this company does word games all around. They have three games in this and like it's dialect, sign, and xeno language. Sign is a is based off of how Nicaraguan sign language came about. Nice. Dialect is about language dying. Like you have a community and you got this, you build up your lexicon and then you build up how like words from it drop off. It's really interesting. And then xeno language is about encountering alien language and how you interpret that. It's really, really neat. Super fun. We also learned that you play Quartal, owned by Springfield's Merriam-Webster. And do you you use the same words every day? I don't, because I'm a being of chaos. Uh Uh-huh. So, and that works out for you well it enough. It works out well, well enough for me. I rarely don't get all of them, and I usually get all of them within about seven. And one more time, if you want to play games in person with other people tonight, where you, is that happening? You head to the Brass Cat in East Hampton at 7 o'clock. Yeah. East Hampton is where it's at. It's also a fun place to, uh, if you're a different type of nerd, a sports ball nerd, it's a great place to uh, watch Red Sox opening day, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And uh, frankly, it's a good place to see stories at Marigold. Do we still have those tickets? Oh, yeah. We do still have those tickets. So you can text us, 800 639 9120, and the first person that gives us the first line of a story can go to the sold-out Marigold Theater tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow, in the fabulous 413, Congressman Jim McGovern will join us for McGoverning with McGovern. You can text us a question for him as well at 800-639-9120. And we'll talk to WHAM, where arts and activism meet at their theater in Stockbridge. Thanks to our director, Tony. Pull over, Monty. That battery light means your alternator is about to die. Done. Yeah, this is a real story. Our technical team is Kara Pay to get the alternator fixed, Foster Bart. I know the guys at the shop where your car died, Rankin, and Puck Brought Dubé. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Ann Alford, The Beatles, Nicki Minaj, and the creators of the theme to the television show Webster. And Prince. I'm Khalees Smith. I'm Monty Belmonte. See you tomorrow on the fabulous 413.